0: It's the last phrases there in the stanza that we sang for, for who in heaven with the Lord could be compared. Uh, keep that in mind today as I read First Samuel 20. There's a, uh, there's a, a sense of, of God's incomparable greatness and the promises that he's made that, that, that motivate David and Jonathan especially looking at Jonathan today. Motivate them uh, to trust and, and then to act in ways that, that show their allegiance to God. Uh, once more, I'm reading a, a, a longer portion because it's, this is narrative. There's a story that's being told. I'm going to read and preach the entire chapter. Uh, so pay attention and uh, enjoy not only the story, but, uh, but the, uh, the principles that come from that. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and went and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? So Jonathan said to him, By no means. You shall not die. Indeed, my father will do nothing, either great or small, without first telling me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Then David took an oath again and said, Your father certainly knows that I have found favor in your eyes. And he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, there is but a step between me and death. So Jonathan said to David, Whatever you yourself desire, I will do it for you. David said to Jonathan, Indeed, tomorrow is a new moon, and I should not fail to sit with the king to eat. But let me go, that I may hide in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked permission of me that he might run over to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he says thus, It is well, your servant will be safe. Uh, If he says it is well, your servant will be safe. But if he is very angry, be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore, you shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? But Jonathan said, far be it from you. Or if I knew certainly that evil was determined by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me? Or what if your father answers you roughly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out into the field. Then Jonathan said to David, the Lord God of Israel is witness. When I have sounded out my father sometime tomorrow or the third day, And indeed, there is good toward David. And I do not send and tell you, may the Lord do so and much more to Jonathan. But if it pleases my father to do you evil, then I will report it to you and send you away that you may go in safety and the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, let the Lord require it of the hand of David's enemies. Now Jonathan again caused David to vow because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul, Then Jonathan said to David, Tomorrow is the new moon and you will be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed three days, go down quickly and come to the place where you hid on the day of the deed and remain by the stone of Ezel. Then I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. There I will send a lad saying, Go find the arrows. If I expressly say to the lad, Look, the arrows are on this side of you. Get them and come. Then as the Lord lives, there is safety for you and no harm. But if I say thus to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you. Go your way, for the Lord has sent you away. As much for the matter, and as much for the matter which you and I have spoken of, indeed the Lord be between you and me forever. Then David hid in the field, and when the new moon had come, the king sat down to eat the feast. Now the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on a seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, but David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought, something has happened to him, he is unclean, surely he is unclean. And it happened the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, Why is the son of Jesse not come to eat, either yesterday or today? So Jonathan answered Saul. David earnestly asked permission of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, please let me go for our family as a sacrifice in the city. And my brother has commanded me to be there. And now if I have found favor in your eyes, please let me get away and see my brothers. Therefore he has not come to the king's table. Then Saul's anger was aroused against Jonathan, and he said, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman. Do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Jonathan answered Saul, his father, and said to him, Why should he be killed? What has he done? Then Saul cast a spear at him to kill him, by which Jonathan knew that it was determined by his father to kill David. So Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger and ate no food the second day of the month, for he was grieved for David because his father had treated him shamefully. So it was in the morning that Jonathan went out into the field at the time appointed with David, and the little lad was with him. Then he said to the lad, now run, find the arrows which I shoot. As the lad ran, he shot an arrow beyond him. When The lad had come to the place where the arrow was, which Jonathan had shot. Jonathan cried out after the lad and said, is not the arrow beyond you? Jonathan cried out after the lad, Make haste, hurry, do not delay. So Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came back to his master. But The lad did not know anything. Only Jonathan and David knew of the matter. Then Jonathan gave his weapons to his lad and said to him, Go, carry them to the city. As soon as the lad had gone, David arose from a place toward the south, fell on his face to the ground, and bowed down three times. And they kissed one another, and they wept together, but David more so. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, May the Lord be between you and me, and between our descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. just start by telling you of a camping trip I was on in Minnesota when I was in college. It was a trip that had many different challenges. It had uh, memories and even some lessons learned. Uh, one of the lessons that I learned was uh, you need to trust your compass. You, you know what a compass is? It's a dial that has needles on it and it reacts to the magnetic field in, uh, in on the earth so that the needle of a compass will always... Point to the north, just uh, it's just drawn that way by that magnetic field, and on that day of hiking, we were going to be moving from point A to point B on our map, and we were supposed to follow a marked trail. So we arrived, we got our backpacks on, we were ready to go. we set out down the path that was uh, seemingly clearly marked in front of us, but uh, our, our leader began to kind of shake his head that that something was wrong about where we were going. So he got out his compass to check. And sure enough, we'd set off down the wrong trail. And it was demonstrated by the compass. We were actually going in the opposite direction from the path that we were supposed to take. And fortunately, he caught that soon enough that we hadn't gone too far. Compass is something that helps you, helps point your way on a hike. That has come to be something of an analogy for our lives as well. We sometimes talk about having a moral compass, something that orients us and directs our, our path. And in this passage, David comes to Jonathan seeking help, and it puts Jonathan in a very difficult spot. How would he choose between the duties that he owed his father and the promise that he has given to David? And there's a moral compass, so to speak, that guides Jonathan. But it isn't just some uh, unseen magnetic field that is guiding Jonathan. It is the covenant that God has made that provides the compass that, that then Instructs the decisions that he makes with David. Now, in previous chapter, there have been uh, there's been a focus on David and his response to God's covenant, and then on Saul's response to that, as how he hated David, and the previous chapter was that he was hunting down David to kill him. And this chapter, while well, it begins with David, is going to focus on Jonathan. And it brings Jonathan, in a sense, to the center stage to consider his response. We'll find that Jonathan was guided in this complex and dangerous situation by the covenant that God had made. He understood that God would be faithful to his promises. And so Jonathan makes decisions based on that covenant. For us today we need to remember that God's covenant's promises are all faithful and true and that those promises prompt you to respond as well in covenant faithfulness towards the Lord. We'll begin by looking at David's distress and his hope, beginning with his distress. So We saw that David had escaped Saul when he tried to throw a spear at him and to kill him. And he ran away and he ended up uh, finding uh, finding refuge in Ramah with Samuel. But Saul even tried to chase Saul, uh, David down there. And we found that the Lord prevented Saul's evil plans. This time, David, when he found out that Saul was still chasing him, he went and he sought out his trusted friend, Jonathan. It could be that there is a, that there's a moment of panic that is is evidenced here. You could hear the distress as he asked Jonathan, what have I done? How have I wronged your father? Why is he trying to kill me? You could understand that fear. David had acted honorably. He had had fought the giant Goliath on behalf of, of Saul and of Israel and of the Lord's honorable name but now Saul has turned against him and is bringing to bear all the power of his authority to try to hunt him down and to kill him. And I like this because it expresses very human responses, very human fear to a dangerous situation that he was in. It is the king of Israel that was trying to kill him and to hunt him down. And so he cries out in the midst of his trial, why is this happening? How long will it go on? Haven't I done uh, uh, done f- uh, well by King Saul? Haven't I acted faithfully? And I said, I like this because surely we can identify with David at this point. We all face uh, these similar fears at very different points in our lives. In fact, Perhaps even today you are experiencing some of, uh, of these distressing fears that come upon us, fears that may even even bring a certain panic on us so that we cry out to the Lord. At the same time, though, uh, even in this distress and fear, I want you to notice where David turns to, to, to try to find help i already said that first of all, he turned to the Lord. As he went to Samuel, Samuel was the prophet of God, and he was the one who would speak for the Lord. So the very first place that David turned was that he went to find counsel from God's word and God's anointed servant. But then next he turns to a trusted friend, to Jonathan. But Jonathan is more than a trusted friend. He was a believer and was one that had already identified himself as as following the Lord, following the covenants that God had made. Now we don't know exactly when and how Jonathan came to know that David was the next anointed king, but it's apparent in this chapter that Jonathan knows exactly who David is. And uh, and David turns to Jonathan as one. Who was within that covenant community, and had covenanted previously with David after his victory over Goliath? Jonathan had publicly identified himself with David, and had promised to provide for him and to be a protector and to and to uh, to follow after David's agenda. And this is what we find happening, and what draws David to Jonathan. If you look at verse 8, you'll see what David says. As he appeals for help, he says, Therefore you shall, shall deal kindly with your servant, for you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. Nevertheless, if there is iniquity in me, kill me yourself, for why should you bring me to your father? In other words, David is speaking to someone that he recognizes as a a faithful follower of the Lord. And he recognizes Jonathan as one who had already covenanted with him to be a a companion, a brother in arms, so to speak. And he says, "I, I trust you. Because of that covenant that you have made, I trust you even to the point of of dealing with me if I have sinned. David is, is in a sense, saying, I I know that I can err, but I trust you, Jonathan, one who has covenanted with me, I entrust my life to you. If I have sinned, it would be better that, that you judge me then I fall into the hands of Saul. I want you to think about the covenant here and how it draws David into this position of of deep trust of Jonathan. The common thread here between Samuel and Saul is the promises of the covenant that have been given to him. And those covenant promises imply a faithfulness and a trustworthiness of the one who has made those promises. And in response, they evoke a confidence and a trust in the one who is responding to them. You can see that in the relationship between David and Jonathan so that in his distress... David takes refuge in the promises of God and the similar promises that Jonathan has made to him. It really is a profound aspect of those promises that that draw us along, which naturally lead us to our Savior Jesus Christ. I read from Hebrews chapter 6 this morning. It calls attention to, to the covenant that God had made with Abraham. I will be your God, you will be my people. And he swore by the greatest thing that's possible. What did God swear by? He swore by himself. There is no one who is greater than God, right? Jack has has taken to these comparisons and uh, 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 comparisons of who's stronger, who's better, and and he always trumps us in the end. He says, well, God is the strongest, <laughs> right? <laughs> Out of the mouth of babes. <laughs> and this is uh, this is what Hebrews says. That God swore by the greatest thing possible. He swore by himself. He entered into an oath. That what he promised to do that he would surely make happen. And the way he did that was by sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to fulfill the obligations of the covenant in obedience and to fulfill the penalties of the covenant for us who break it which was his death on the cross. Jesus came to fulfill that promise, that covenant and the covenant evokes in us then then a confidence and a trust as, as a Hebrews 6 says that we have this anchor for our souls sunk in heaven itself so that we may have confidence and trust in our Redeemer, Jesus. Commentator Phillips puts it this way, those who have entered into covenant with God through faith in Christ may come to him to be vindicated and to find protection for their souls. This is what David has done. He finds protection in the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God as he went to Samuel, and in a similar way as he went to Jonathan, a covenant-maker, covenant-keeper. And this comes through in Jonathan then. We'll turn now to think about Jonathan's faithfulness to that overarching covenant that God has made. So David came to Jonathan and he, and he asked, asked Jonathan to find out whether or not Saul continued to try to kill him. And at first, Jonathan is like, no way. I would know about it. I'm the king's son. And David brings up the, uh, uh, perhaps obvious objection to that, that Saul knew the relationship between Jonathan and David. And so he said, you're, Your father's hiding this from you. And I propose a test. The test is this. There's a new moon festival coming up. It would be my duty to be there to sit at table with the king. But let me be absent. Tell your father if he asks that. I've gone to Bethlehem to, to be with my family, but let me be absent and see how Saul responds to this. I want you to recognize that this puts Jonathan in a a very difficult position. But this is where we learn about Jonathan's faith and his faithfulness as well to covenant promises. So here's the difficulty. Jonathan had certain duties that he owed owed to his father. First of all, because he was his father, but second of all, he's the king of Israel. So Jonathan was duty bound in in some of these things, but he had also made a promise to David. He'd come alongside David, he had identified with him, he had promised to be uh, that brother in arms with him. And it uh, there's tension and even difficulty that, uh, that this dilemma placed him in. Because David was asking Jonathan to, to spy on his father. To report on him. To, to, to undermine his father's plans that he had against David. And so that duty to father and to king is there. But Jonathan also understood this that God had anointed David to be king. He would be the next king after Saul. And so Jonathan had covenanted with David. Today we might say he hitched his wagon to David. Why did he do that? Because God is God. And he wasn't hitching his wagon to David he was hitching his wagon to god and so he was understanding that god's will must be done and that that purpose of god overruled everything else and that was a risky business he could and was already in hot water with his father because of his friendship with david so, humanly speaking, uh, Jonathan was kind of between a rock and a hard place. How is he going to navigate this situation? Well, as I'm hinting at already, let me just state it out that, that even as David sought refuge in the covenant of God, Jonathan does the same thing. He seeks refuge in what God has revealed. And the promises that he has made, the covenant that he has made with David. And from that, he sought direction for his decisions then on how he should act in this difficult dilemma. And I'll show that in in three ways. The first one pretty quickly. Jonathan was faithful to his covenant promise to David. Jonathan agreed and made arrangements with how to test his father and then how to pass that information on to David. The whole thing about shooting the arrows with the, with the little boy that would go retrieve the arrows. In other words, Jonathan wasn't ducking out of that, that promise that he'd made to David. And he makes his decision based on that, on faithfulness to that promise. But that promise has a, a deeper foundation because secondly, Jonathan was faithful to God's covenant promises he affirms that the lord had chosen david to be the next king now jonathan was the one who would naturally inherit the throne he was the crown prince we might say but in in being faithful to god's promises he steps aside from what he might have expected to be the next king And in stepping aside, he chooses to honor the Lord and to honor the king that God had chosen. Since God chose David, Jonathan was confident that David would in fact be the next king. And he knew, as he says, that God would make that happen, even to the cutting off of all of David's enemies. All of those who would stand, uh, uh, would try to uh, try to thwart God's anointing of David, would not stand, including his father. Well, he doesn't name him here. It's implicit that he understood and he accepted the fact that God would even judge his own father Saul. Here again, I like what Philip says. He says, Knowing God's will for David's kingdom, he dutifully served that cause, accepting that his higher duty to God overrode any lesser obligation to obey his father. He had a higher duty to God. This has happened before, hasn't it? You can find it in a number of different places in Scripture Think in the New Testament of of the apostles who faced a similar choice. After Jesus' resurrection and ascension, the Pharisees came and gathered them up and they forbade them. Uh, These are their religious authorities. They say, you shall not preach in the name of Jesus. But they said, "Uh, we can't do that. You be judged. Is it better to obey God or men? And they rightly understood their higher duty to God that overruled the duty that they had to lesser authorities. In this case, their spiritual authorities. Underline this in your mind then. It is better to serve God than man. It's better to understand the covenants and the promises of God and to guide your life by your relationship to him. God has covenanted. He's covenanted to to save you, to be your God and that you would be his people. In fulfillment of that, he sent his son Jesus to be our Savior. And so that faithfulness to his promise evokes a response. That's a phrase I'm, I'm using throughout this sermon. It evokes a response of, of trust in God to keep his promises and a, a faithfulness then to God's word, a covenant faithfulness. And, and remember very carefully here that your salvation doesn't come from your faithfulness it never does it it comes by grace always grace but sa- being saved by Jesus Christ that deliverance draws you along so that you walk in newness of life so we make decisions even in difficult uh, circumstances even in circumstances that that may cost us our job, our safety, our lives. We make decisions oriented to God, being faithful to the one who has promised to us. There's a third way that Jonathan's faithfulness comes out. That's that Jonathan sought out covenant promises from David as well. So understanding that the Lord had chosen David to be the next king, Jonathan then asks David for protection. And just stop and, and remember the situation here. Who is the one, humanly speaking, that had all the power in this situation? David was running for his life. He was a shepherd boy. He was a soldier of the king. Jonathan was the crown prince. All he had to do was to say the word, and David is arrested and is killed by his father. And Jonathan goes forward as the next king in Israel, right? In this situation, Jonathan had the upper hand, so to speak, And could have used it to his own advantage, humanly speaking. But David didn't do that. Based on God's promise to David, Jonathan became David's ally. And then he sought out David's protection. Why protection? Well, in the ancient world, when there was a change in administration, the, the expected practice was that the, the new king would come in and would slaughter all of the family of the previous king. Their lives, in a sense, were forfeit. And in that context, Jonathan could hear David is the next king and recognize not only would he not be the next king, but that his life was in danger. So he comes to David and he says, be faithful to me, your servant. Show kindness to me and to my family. And he asks David to, uh, to covenant according to this, this promise. Listen to verses 14 and 15. And you shall not only show Me, the kindness of the Lord, while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. You see here Jonathan aligning himself with the God of Israel and with God's chosen king. He committed himself and he asked David to show kindness to him in this life and to his descendants following. And the rest of of David's story is gonna show that he did just that. He never lifted his hand against Jonathan. And after Jonathan died, David sought out any living member of his family to show kindness to. And he found one son still living, a lame young man named Mephibosheth, brought him into his house and treated him as a son. So David accepted that appeal of Jonathan, and once again they swore to each other. So what happens? Well, the rest of the chapter fills in the rest of the story. When David was absent from the New Moon Festival, Saul let it pass at first, but then he did get angry. He got so angry that... He tried to kill his own son, Jonathan, for protecting David, for standing up for him. Just like he had done with David, Saul took his spear and he threw it at Jonathan, trying to pin him to the wall. Jonathan understood now that Saul was against David. And he does go out to the field to inform David by this secret prearranged sign shooting the arrows and communicating to him that it wasn't safe for him to stay. Having gathered the arrows, uh, the little boy is sent home and Jonathan and David have one last conversation together. They weep together. They embrace each other. They covenant together again. And they say goodbye to each other. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace. Since we have both sworn in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between you and me and between your descendants and my descendants forever. So he arose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. What a great love between Jonathan and David. We've noted before that that, uh, there's a lot made about this relationship, Uh, some really awful speculation about it that i've treated before but let me just say this is this is more than just two dudes hanging out together that uh, that are, are bosom buddies so to speak their brotherly love has a foundation to it and the foundation is the covenant love of god himself and those that covenant love and the promises that god have made then then help Jonathan to navigate the difficult decisions and the and the difficult position that his relationship with David created. It was a, something of that moral compass that guided his steps. And it's in this way that I would draw it to application to ourselves, as I've done in uh, different points along in the sermon. Let me remind you that the Lord has promised. His promise to save all of those who come to him by repentance and faith. And he invites you. He, he calls you to enter into this covenant relationship. And I keep using that word covenant because I, because of the weight of what it implies. God has bound himself by oath to bring to pass what he has promised. And in this case, for us today, he has promised to save us from our sins. To accomplish that, the Lord has sent his anointed king to be our representative, to be our savior. So Jesus entered into this world to go to the cross, to give his life as a ransom for sin, to keep those promises. And as he has promised, you can be confident that he will surely forgive all those who come to him. It is promised to adopt you into his family, to make you heirs with Christ. He has called you and holds you so that you persevere to the end. And in this life, you will experience a variety of pressures that will will take you into these really panic-inducing dilemmas. What am I supposed to do in this circumstance? How can I... How can I navigate my way through these difficult decisions? Well, the compass that God has given to you is His covenant promises, and it's better to obey God than to obey men. It may be that uh, the troubled times that we live in will lead to uh, lead to things that do threaten your job, your safety, your life. You can trust that the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, will keep his word to see you through all of those decisions and all of those difficult circumstances of life. He will guard you, he will guide you, he will give you peace. So I pray that from Jonathan today, uh, Jonathan's example today, that you would see the picture of Jesus Christ. You see a picture of one who is, uh, is faithful to his promises and that you would align yourself with the God of Israel, the covenant making and covenant keeping God. Let's bow before him in prayer. Lord, we are so grateful that you keep your word. In this life, we do not. We fall so far short of that, and we need this Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And based on those promises, O Lord, and that invitation to enter into a covenant with you, we find a great degree of, uh, of trustworthiness. the Lord, you have always kept your promises, and you always will. And in response to your faithfulness, it gives us boldness to draw near to you. We find the privileges of membership in your family to be poured out upon us. And it gives us then direction on how to respond to the difficult circumstances of this life. And God, I pray that in those uh, very difficult and naughty decisions of this life that are, are so complex and gnarled, we pray, oh God, that that, that uh, compass of your word and faithfulness to you would guide us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. close by singing another portion of Psalm 89, this time the deselection. selection And uh, once more, I want you to notice the covenant that God has made with his servant David, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And I want you to notice how how God has promised to strike down all the adversaries of David. And uh, remember Jonathan's understanding of this as well, and how it leads us to look to the faithfulness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's stand and sing Psalm 89D.